Hello and welcome to a special edition of our Trusted Tech Talks podcast. The following podcast is a recording of our recent online event, Remote Collaboration and Pair Programming. Head of Practice Stephen Ashby was joined by Richard Fallon, CTO at Naimuri, and Andrew Beacock, Software Engineering Manager at The Very Group, for an informative session on the impact of lockdown and remote working on software delivery teams. In this one-hour session, you will learn about challenges software managers are currently facing and tried and tested solutions that leaders can use to optimise collaboration and teamwork, as well as tips on implementing pair programming when working remotely. Yeah, I'll go into uh, into my intro anyway. Seems like you and uh, Andrew and Richard already know everybody on this anyway from the sounds of things, like a friends reunion. But um, so sound look. I guess a lot of you will uh, already know me, but I'm Stephen Ashby from Maxwell Bond, one of the co-founders of the Trusted Tech Talks, which is a platform that we set up to be able to host webinars and roundtables and podcasts. Uh, but yeah, we, we set this up in order to be able to give back to the tech community, create opportunities for people to speak on topics they're passionate about, but also just what they want to learn on. So. The webinar today, we're guesstimating it's going to go on for about 45 minutes, give or take 10 minutes, depending on the amount of questions that come through. But if anybody needs to shoot off early, that's absolutely fine. Uh, the idea of the webinar on remote collaboration and pair programming came up when I was speaking to Richard uh, a few months ago. He was talking about some of these kind of issues he's currently facing and whether I guess the future of remote pair programming would work as effectively. So I put a post out to my network to see if anyone could offer any advice or tips on remote pair programming. And this is where Andrew threw his hat into the ring after having 14 years of experience remote working. So happens that they both know each other, which made it a lot easier. So yeah, we said that the three of us worthwhile instead of doing it as a conversation between the two of you seems like there's uh, quite a lot of interest out there and a few other businesses or people will be able to benefit from listening into this conversation so it is more of a conversation rather than a structured like presentation or webinar that you usually see um but yeah as with all webinars at the moment it'll be a logistical nightmare to have 100 people unmuted asking questions so we're just going to use the chat facility to ask questions. There's a feature on there where you can upvote your favorite questions and the ones with the most votes will be answered first. Uh, throughout the webinar, we'll be pausing every 10 minutes or so just to go through, ask, you know, ask uh, the questions, get them answered. So please feel free to ask as many as you want. Uh, we're also going to be running a few polls that you've probably already seen. Uh, throughout so just make sure you're voting on the polls and we'll yeah get get those answered but that's it in a in a nutshell from me so i'll let you guys introduce yourselves uh yeah richard do you want to do you want to start okay yeah thanks steve um i'll say hello everyone i can't see anyone and the irony of uh doing a talk on remote pairing over a remote connection um does make this slightly more tricky um so just before i say about me just to reiterate some of the things that Stephen said to kind of remind me as well as you why we're doing this. And I think when you said give back, actually, that's a really good phrase. So giving back to the technical community, basically, can we help each other during these strange times? 
So I think one of the aims for this is someone, and that can be any one of the presenters that you can see here, um, or one of you leaves tonight with something that you might try to improve your ways of working uh, back at the office or back from home. Uh, just to reiterate, this is not a presentation. We're not here, we, we certainly don't have any products to sell and I'm not sure we're even selling any ideas. Um, so this is a conversation, but the format's tricky. I, as we said, we can't have a conversation where it'll be like a herd effect where every hundred people try and speak at the same time. So we've put a poll together. If you could answer that, that would be really useful. That'll help give us an idea of who we're talking to and the experience you've got. And also, so please ask some questions along the way and we will pause every now and again and have a look and see if any questions come in. And for this to be anywhere near worthwhile, it really needs your input and contribution. Um, otherwise, by all means, you can just tune in and listen to Andrew and I chat the fat. Um, so <laughs> that's that. Um, so briefly, uh, Steve touched on it as to why we're here. Um, my kind of background in pair programming, I was lucky enough at the time that I started in this industry, coincided with the release of the original uh, XP Extreme Programming book. It had just been released. I had no idea what Extreme Programming was at the time. I barely knew what a computer was. But somebody dropped it on my desk, uh, a chapter of the book, and he managed to convert the whole company at the time. Um, we all adopted it. We all took on Extreme Programming. And pair programming in particular is something that I've really believed in ever since. Uh, so I've been involved in that in every company I've ever worked in. And I'm currently now uh, CTO at Naimiori. And a little bit of an interesting background to this is considering this is something I always believed in and always pushed, I was walking around the office and realized that nobody was pairing. And we'd, we'd actually done a survey uh, to just generally find out how everyone's getting on. And one of the things that came out of the survey was 80 to 90% of the respondents all thought that pairing was the best, most effective way to, to get their job done yet nobody was doing it. And we had to go through quite, a, quite an effort to encourage people to do pair programming and they didn't actually get the support. They didn't feel as though they had the support from the company. They thought it would be, oh, well, we're, we're only doing half a job. And even in a company where I'm the CTO, it still took some effort to get people doing it, but we got it in place. More and more people were doing it, fantastic. And then lockdown kicked in. And it's, as you'll all know, it's changed everything. And what dawned on me over the following weeks was that we've mostly stopped doing pair programming. And I wasn't sure of how we could do it, really. We didn't really have, we've got loads of online tools that we use. We won't go to all the tools that we use yet. But we were having problems. I didn't know how to tell everyone, you still need to keep pairing, and these are the tools that you use. And I was chatting with Stephen. Just to clarify, if anyone from Naimiori is on, I wasn't looking for a job. We were potentially looking at working together. Um, however, um, I mentioned to Stephen about some of the problems, and that is when I got hooked back up with Andrew, who I'll pass you over to. Yeah, so uh, my name is Andrew Beacock. I'm a software engineering manager at Very, uh, or the Very Group. Um, 
so sort of the the interesting bit for pair programming and i guess why you know uh, richard and myself have kind of almost like our paths have separated and come back we we both worked at the same company um back around 15 years ago and richard we acquired Richard's company and they joined Richard brought pair programming and extreme programming with, with him, drove it into the teams. And so, you know, Richard and I have paired together on stuff when we've done a load of um, work like that, we drove it throughout the team and saw huge benefits and, and really good code coverage, great knowledge share. Since then moved on to other companies where it's been in place a little bit. Um, but for the last prior to joining Barry, which was in January, the last 12 years, I've been working completely remotely um, from my, my house here in Ormskirk. The company was on the Isle of Man and there was a number of us who were remote. And so we did do um, pairing uh, as part of that process. So um, when I saw Stephen's post on LinkedIn saying, you know, does remote pairing work? Um, my answer was absolutely it does. Uh, I mean, it's been really interesting to then sort of get get put in touch with Richard um, and why we're here tonight is to kind of go into some of those challenges, but also maybe some of the solutions and, and why does it not work for you and it worked for me, but then also, you know, what, what other aspects of business or software engineering will, will, will sort of conflict or confuse possible options to do pairing and which ones can actually support it. So I don't know, Richard, if you want to kind of... Um, sort of say about you know how what sort of problems you 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 cropped up with yes so so what started things actually what, what really started us looking into it was and i suspect this is a common problem for people going into lockdown is some people started to go missing and, and that's not um it's not necessarily criticism it's not saying that they were hiding they were shirking responsibilities people are struggling to be at home all day on their own to be bothered to get out of bed feeling down all sorts of different issues that might cause it and we wanted to find better ways of working together um, and so i reach into the, the the tools in my toolbox that i know of which is what pair programming will help with that and and as i kind of alluded to earlier when i was talking I previously I might walk around the office and say oh why is nobody pairing well, now I've no idea. You know, I, I, I see the people I see on, the, on a Zoom call or other video tools are available. Um, and, and I don't know where the pairing's taking place. So we started looking into it. We started pushing it. Or we started the idea of having conversations and found out that it's mostly stopped. And it really came into something that I think we're going to talk more about tonight is, is about collaboration and is about working together and, and this is a strange industry that you want to be able to have time to yourself. You want to be able to focus, you want to be able to think and concentrate and not be constantly interrupted, but you don't want to be left alone too long because sooner or later, um, most people, not, not all, but most people will struggle with that, I think. Yeah, it's really, I think the thing that is, is interesting for me is you, you'd introduced pair programming into the office environment. And I know, um, you know, you sort of said that a lot, a lot of your team were pairing. It, it, from from my point of view, it seems kind of odd that almost the moment they're not sat next to each other, they they just suddenly stop. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that, and and I honestly don't know what the reason is. Um, I, the the fact that so, so we work as a consultancy for lots of different customers, so it's not like we have one team and everyone on the same team stops. Let's say I don't know, let's say we've got ten teams. 
they've mostly all stopped. That when I dug into it, there were two small pockets of, uh, of, of people who were still doing pair programming and hanging on, but everyone else had just gone into a different mode, really, mm. and were just being taking tasks and doing them themselves. So, do you, do you, yeah. do you think it was because they? They, they didn't have the right tool set or they didn't know what tools to use or were overthinking it or? So, so I, th I, think that, I think the difference for us was that is the change from physicality of pairing is sitting next to someone and sharing the keyboard. And if they, so everything's changed. So they're now working at home alone. And if they want to pair, they have to do something different. And although it sounds easy to say, well, could they just find a way to do it? It was, nobody really came up with it. Um, so I suspect there must be many different reasons because there were, there were many different teams involved with many different types of individuals and personalities and characters. The fact that nobody was doing it must be all sorts of different reasons. But we use all of our stuff or most but yeah so we don't have any servers in our company everything's hosted on the cloud so we have all the tools available to be able to do things and maybe not perfectly but no one was using it and we had to start digging around and that was when we hooked up when i asked steven about what tools could we use to do this really well and, yeah. and his, his, his initial response was it turns out nobody's really doing it um yeah so, so I, I, I was going to say on that, um, we had a poll at the beginning just to find out a bit more about the audience. Have we got, is, has that been completed? Do you have any information on what the shape of the audience looks like with this? Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, that's, that's, we've got a good, uh, I like the super comfortable. Nice, nice. It's a nice load of experts on here already. That's great. Good. And then we got good. used before and stopped. Yeah. Uh, which is again third. And then yeah, interested. Never used it, but interested. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. So never used it, never will. That's interesting. Yeah. And then yeah. So um, I think I think just to pick up on that, and I've seen one of the questions as well is about specific tools for pair programming. Is so when in my last role it was a hundred percent remote, um, apart from a couple of weeks at the beginning where I got to meet the team. Who are there's a large amount of the team on the Isle of Man, and then there was a number of other remote workers dotted around the UK. So. I'm used to working with people. I'm used to collaborating with people and sitting next to them. Now I'm sat on my own and that was fine for a while. And then I hit a bit of a bug and I'm like, you know what? I really need another set of eyes on this. I need to explain to somebody what I'm doing. I need to show them what I'm doing. I need somebody to kind of think about it. And I know nowadays there's a load of tools like VS Code has got a pairing option built into it where you can kind of, you, you can both collaboratively edit different parts of the code. Um, the whole G Suite stuff allows a load of different, you know, if you wanted to start copying and pasting code around, you could use it in there. But we we kind of went, we didn't even really look for a tool. We just went, okay, if I'm going to pair a program, I want to see your screen. I want to be able to control your cursor and I want to be able to type. So we actually just used, um, we first of all used VNC um, and a particular tool was type VNC, which is free. Um, so that you would connect onto somebody else's machine, in effect, remote into it. And then later on, we also used Windows Remote Desktop or Windows Assist. Um, it's got various different terms. But basically, 
actually physically, you know, log on to someone's machine remotely and you've got the whole desktop and request access. And then you've now got access to their cursor, their keyboard, and you can now see what they can see. We then used to jump on a phone call with a headset. So we didn't worry about video because we're only really interested in looking at the IDE screen at that point. And, you know, um, my colleague was in Windermere, there's another one in Blackburn, there was one down in London, and that's what we did. And we'd spend two or three hours on the call working through the code on either my machine or on their machine and actually putting stuff together with the screen sharing side of things. Um, we did try stuff. So at one point, the VNC got shut down uh, due to security issues. And we were told you can use the screen sharing capabilities within Skype for Business or Link. And in effect, these days, that would be with Teams. But what we found is because of the screen scaling aspect, because of the fact that it's more built to like show presentations over, the actual collaboration side was really poor. Like, you know, moving the mouse and the cursor around was, was not a good experience. Um, so we actually reverted back to doing Windows Remote Assist with each other. Um, and, and that solved that solved our pairing issue basically, and that's what we used. Um, another benefit with that solution was you're not just looking at the IDE and the code. If you need to log onto a server, you can remote onto the server from that person's machine. You can both see the server logs. You can look at the server configuration. You can jump to a terminal and run a compile. So you can actually do everything that you would do physically next to someone by shuttling the keyboard backwards and forwards, but actually. You, you just don't move the keyboard anymore because you've got your own. And and we yeah, use so that we, successfully we, for a long time. We, we spoke about this. And did you say you had some security issues with the security team? Like... There, there, was, there was some concerns raised around using VNC. Um, partly, I believe there'd been a vulnerability that had been found and fixed, but um, they were concerned about it. They were also trying to consolidate the number of tools they were using um, uh, so that from a sort of... Um, IT management point of view. So they were re slowly reducing the, the number of items. Now, interestingly, the, the team that was in the Isle of Man never really paired with each other, even though they were sat next to each other, they didn't pair. So they actually got the tool removed because the IT the IT department spoke to the development department on the Isle of Man and said, do you use this tool? And they said, no. So it got removed. And then all of a sudden, us remote people are going, well, hang on, you just like it feels like you've just cut my arm off because I can't help my colleague now. And, you know, we, we really had got into a practice of remote, uh, sort of remote debugging, pair programming stuff, remote investigations of servers and stuff like that. So uh, it ended up that the, the Windows Assistant had the, the appropriate level of security from, our, from the stuff that we were working on, that that was fine. Yes, yeah, so, so one, one of the challenges we have with that is we work in, um, all our work is done for UK government. So we have certain security things in place about protection of data and they frown upon giving access to uh, somebody else's machine. So, so that wouldn't have worked for us at the time. And we use, or we've started using a product called screen.so. This, again, this is, I don't work for them. This isn't a sales pitch for them. That's just something that we use. Um, everyone at our place seems to think it, I say everyone, we're still probably only about a third of the company, I, sus I suspect, maybe less actually pairing at the moment, but it's increasing slowly again. Um, and that has worked very well. That's allowed a lot of features that people seem quite happy with. Um, just sort of just pick up on some of the questions that are coming up here. Mm 
Um, uh, from Raphael, pair programming stopped. How much in percentage did the errors increase or didn't? That is a great question. Um, and it, I, I don't have the answers for, for two different reasons. Um, but the primary one being that we, I, so I certainly don't record that level of detail. I, I don't have eyes on that. Some of our projects will have um, error rates. Um, on a slight tangent, that's one of the things we use across our company is the four things from the state of DevOps report to try and measure the success of teams. An error rate is one of them, but not all our teams will do that. Um, so I can't give you a direct answer on that, I'm afraid. I think the interesting bit there as well is when when you're pairing, there is that uh, cross pollination of of the you know the the knowledge aspect and the architecture and the fact that you gain more uh, almost like more support for that code by pairing and swapping pairs. And again, that's almost something would be very difficult to measure or track. Would be your actual coverage across the team of people who know that area and and you know actually implicitly know how that code works um, which is a, a obviously the error rate is one aspect but the other one for us as well has always been about that knowledge share and the code sort of people's coverage of the code which you start to lose out on when you're not pairing yeah absolutely and coverage is a bit of a contentious topic at times as well um, even just today we were talking about should there be code coverage that's probably a topic of another of another discussion um, there's one here i found it difficult pairing remotely uh, first you need to talk more and secondly you don't see the other person's face to get feedback um so i mean i suppose there's would there be ways around that in, in terms of you, you know you could have some kind of video link going on as well as the the code on the screen and some sort of sharing tool yeah, I mean, I guess there's no, if you've got, I mean, most, a, a lot of people have multiple screens. So I guess there would be no real issue um, having in a sort of a, a Zoom call going or a Teams call or whatever. I guess a lot of the time you're going to end up seeing the side of someone's face because they're busy looking at the IDE on a different screen. Um, so uh, when, when I did this in the past, we, we didn't use video calls at all the whole, you know, for anything. Um, it was tried um, over a decade ago, the quality was poor and we didn't really see much of a benefit. So we actually, the whole company remained on on telephone. Um, so we were just used to it. Um, def you definitely talk more when you're coding because, you know, it, it's not, it's not, they're, they're, it's a little bit harder to kind of convey the ideas, I guess, but um, we didn't, we didn't have a problem not being able to see each other face to face. It was more like someone goes, oh, hang on a minute. I think I know how to deal with this. Just give us a second. They'd start coding away. And then you're like, yeah, but you've not thought about this. So all the same practices and all the same ideas that they say about pair programming is still there. You know, one person's taking a back seat and is thinking at a higher level than the person who's actually making sure that all the syntax is correct and then the variables are named nicely, et cetera. You know, you've got that kind of lower level coding and higher level coding going on at the same time and you still have that if you've got the the, the voice telephone aspect yeah and i think uh to that question i'm pretty sure screen so uh allows uh the visualization of the, the face of the people who are talking as well so you have got that although you probably neither of you looking at the camera most of the time yeah um let's see there's here's another one the concept of pairing is great have you ever personally been involved in pairing? One other pair is a QA and doing pairing dev testing in real time. Uh, 
I have one one or two, I have a little bit of experience of that, but it wasn't so much pair programming, I guess. It was more around debugging issues on the test network. So a test, so, you know, we had a separate test network that we deploy our software to. We would then uh, hand that over to the tester, give them a quick ring, explain it. Then we'd get off the phone and they'd go and do their, their, their thing. Um, sometimes there would be particularly tricky bugs that even though they'd done a really good JIRA write-up, it, it was like, no, you need to show me. Um, so we would do the same thing. I would remote onto their PC um, or I would remote onto a separate test network PC. And then they would then proceed to walk through the, you know, pressing the buttons on the screen and actually showing me the error in real time whilst they talked why they were choosing these options, what they were doing and, and where they'd been. Um, so that, I mean, that's more kind of like pair debugging, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that that is talking about, I mean, that's almost, I, I like the idea of, that sounds like it's real-time testing of the code that you're writing, which is is like a step beyond test-driven development. Um, if that's how I read it, that, that's, that's quite an advanced concept, I think. Yeah. Um, I was just talking today, actually, at our place again, uh, that some of our testers are talking about testing features before any development's done. So actually trying to test the concepts of can this thing actually work? I, I don't fully understand how they're going to do that, but um, interesting points there. Yeah. Um, just see if we missed any other Let's questions. Go into, um, sorry, there's a, the, on the Q&A box, I think a couple of the questions have already kind of being answered as you talk in terms of like specific tools. I know Bimal asked, is there any uh, particular tools that you'd um, use? I think one of the questions that Peter asked is, were people in the office pair programming, uh, sorry, were people pairing in the office you know, because they were encouraged to or because they saw the value in it? Uh, so that, that's a, an interesting question. And they were encouraged but they, they were encouraged for two reasons. Uh, one, because I believed in it, but actually because when we were doing a survey of how everyone's getting on, it became obvious that everyone thought that pairing was the best thing to do and no one was doing it. And when I asked anecdotally a few people as to, so you all say that you want to do it and no one's doing it, they genuinely thought that it would, it would have been frowned upon by, by the management that it wouldn't be a good thing to be doing. And, and it's still it's still a very common view, it, mm. particularly when I get into the religious debate of it, you know, I either believe in it or you don't. But a lot of people think, well, you're only going to get half the amount of work done. Um, yeah, in, in <laughs> fact, we, we had that exact conversation with one of our teams today, um, or this week, sorry, was, okay, you know, we, we, want to, we want to continue to do pairing. Is it okay to say to the delivery manager that we'll be at half capacity? And I'm like, well, you, you can say that if you want to, but actually when you start to track your velocity properly, you'll realize that you won't be at half. It's um, so intense. There's yeah. nowhere to go, is it? When you're working yeah. with someone else, you can't drift off and start suddenly browsing the BBC site to see what's going yeah. on in the world when someone sat on your shoulder saying, excuse me, what are you up to? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's no, yeah, your email notifications get ignored. Your Slack messages get ignored. Because you are, you know, you are giving that person your time and they're giving you their time absolutely in front of you. And, and that was actually the same whether you're on a, again, whether you're on a phone call and a, like a, a Windows remote assist, 
or whether you're actually sat next to each other, people wouldn't just suddenly disappear because they've got to check their email. They would they would ignore the email and, and carry on very much in the same way as you would if you were sat next to somebody. But yeah, it often is very it is exhausting. You know, if you do uh, you, just, you can't do it all day. The, uh, I can see there's a separate so there's a chat box and there's a QA session as well. So uh, how would you encourage developers who are not keen on pairing or mobbing to give it a go? Um, so I, that that's a, a a topical question for us. So we've had someone leave our place because they didn't want to pair, um, wow. and actually, um, I mean that that's no, that, he was he was very clear about it. He it, it wasn't for him. He he was. Uh, what I would describe like an archetypal hardcore developer, really bright, could write code faster than most, but did not want to be fussed with human beings. He just wanted to get the job done. Mm. Um, and that's okay. In certain organizations, he thrive, but that's not what we wanted. So in us gently pushing people to pair more, um, he, he quit. <laughs> so... <laughs> The reality is, is you'll never please everyone all the time. But I, I do think, so So we've actually got, since started pushing it, we've got, uh, let's say we've got 10 teams in the company. Everyone who's done pair programming before is happy to adopt this new tool that we're looking at screen and start doing more of it again, which is great. The one team that are pushing back on doing any have never done it before. Mm. And they think that they're going to go, that they're not going to be able to hit their targets that they're working for for a particular customer. And they also think that it's not necessarily going to work for the people on their team. But but nobody's nobody on that team has ever done it before. So this is a, a gentle, I've set up a, a fortnightly reminder just to say, how are you getting on? How's that going? I, I haven't heard any reasons why they can't do it yet. But it is ultimately just gentle persuasion, I think. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that almost feels a little bit like, and, and I've been in this situation myself as far as when you, you're writing unit tests, you know, you, you've, you've had a bug reported, you're, you're close to the wire for your deployment. You, you go, you know what, I haven't got time to write the tests. Uh, I'm just going to make the, the fix I think it is, and then I'll build it, and then I'll copy it to the server, and then I'll restart the server, and then I'll log into the browser, and I'll get to that page, and I'll test it. And you do that a few times, then you realize, oh, my word, how long does this take? And then at that point, I've often then gone, you know what, just write the flipping test. If I write the test now, I don't have to do any of that process at all. I can skip most of that. And then when you write it, you go, why didn't I do this at the beginning? And I think pairing's <laughs> a little bit like that. You, But it's like, how do you introduce them? And I think you, you kind of said there's a bit of a softly, softly approach almost is one thing that we found for people who didn't want to do pair programming was we said, okay, well, if you get stuck, um, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll do a bit of a sort of, um, we'll, we'll help you debug. We'll jump on your machine and we'll do some debugging with you, some remote assistant debugging. And then you find that the people go, yeah, actually kind of solved that problem pretty quickly. And I kind of enjoyed that working with you. It was nice to work with you. you go, yeah, sure. Anytime you like, you know, if you've got an issue, just give me, give me a ring and I'll jump on your machine and we'll do it. And do that a few times. Andrew, we've lost you. Hello. Hello. Oh, you're there. You're frozen. Can you still hear us? He was talking about his children might be downloading Fortnite. So, um, <laughs> he didn't oh. say that before. Oh, there you go. I think you're back. 
just whilst we're waiting, so I see a question there from uh, Emma. Any tips for encouraging underconfident developers to contribute? Um, so I, I think that for me, it, so we talk about pair programming, obviously that has to take place between the two people who are actually doing the pairing. But the pair programming, when we talk about how we encourage it to take place within the company, it's not just speaking to the people who are doing it, it's speaking to the people who are running the teams to make sure that they're encouraging it and also not allowing the same people to pair all day, every day. You don't just pair with the person you like the best. You pair with different people and that's the whole purpose to learn more about the different aspects of the code base or the systems and to get different ideas and input. And also, um, if, they're, if they're lacking in confidence now and they're not ever pairing with anyone, then that problem is going to take a lot longer to get resolved, I would say. I'd actually say pairing should help resolve that. Although it does come down to characters as well. If you've got mm. some kind of bolshy characters who look down dismissively on, on juniors, then that doesn't help very much. So, so it's very much a people-based thing, I think. Did you did you have any strategies for addressing that, Richard? Either either in the office or I guess in in the remote world. Uh, uh, only for rotation. The key thing is is to make sure that different people pair together on on different tasks. Mm. But that's that that's a key thing that should just be pushed. And, and really trying to stop the same people pairing all the time. That was, I think, once you get into that habit, then things start to fall down. A bit. I think you then start just getting into friends having a chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pete, Peter's raised a question here about the security implications of screen sharing and with security teams vetoing a lot of tools. Um, we had similar at my last place. They were very, we were, a, it was a financial uh, company, financial organization. And so, you know, they were very, very strict about where data was and where data went. In fact, my actual PC was on the Isle of Man and I remoted into it from Ormskirk. I never had any company property other than a thin client in my actual office. So, you know, um, they, they even, even down to the point of my developer machine was remote, uh, which is kind of ironic that I was then remoting from that onto someone's machine back in the Lake District, <laughs> sort of hopping over to the Isle of Man. I think the key thing really is to just is to just see what is available. So for example, for hours, we said, well, can you unlock Windows Assist just for a small portion of us so we can continue to collaborate and work effectively? That went through a security review and they said, yeah, it's a restricted number of people. And um, you know, we'll, we'll put a couple of extra things in place and we'll put some monitoring in place. And um, they opened it up for us. So I guess it's, yeah, but at the end of the day, you've got to work with what you've got. You know, If you're not allowed a connection to the internet, um, other than, and you've got to get stuff downloaded on a USB stick to get it inside the organization, then I guess remote pairing at that point is going to get tricky. But if you've got things like Teams already or Zoom or other collaboration tools that you're using in the organization, there must be some, you know, there should be something else. Yeah, exactly. And it's a kind of limiting what people can see and, and showing, having processes in place or, or a description, often security teams need, um, something that we used to see a lot was putting a control in place without any real uh, reason for it being there. And we've said it a few times that there's a reason why security doesn't run the business because if the security department 
ran the business, then we'd all sit in a dark room and not speak to anyone and everything would be safe, but not much gets done. And there's always a balance. So if you're sharing your screen, but you can prove that you're only sharing the code base that you're looking at or something along those lines, it's, it's usually the conversation with, with the security uh, guys and girls. Mm. We've had a couple of different questions there. There's one again from Peter and one from Dylan about uh, sort of mobbing and swarming. Um, and yes, I mean, that does get a lot harder remote. Um, I, I have been involved in a successful session that had four of us all remoting onto the same person's machine. And we were doing a bit of a sort of uh, remote debugging swarming type thing. Uh, it got a little bit crazy with the four, but there wasn't too much in the way of any kind of lag or anything. So you could still see stuff in real time, but I'm not sure to what extent or, or to what um, capabilities, you know, such remote tools have when you actually want to start getting uh, a whole squad, for example, or a whole team and getting up to like 10, 15 people. Oh, he's gone again. Whilst he's gone, I'll... Uh, have I? No, I'll no. Have I gone. It's here for me, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's you this time, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I just love the internet. Um, so while um, Richard's coming back, there's just, uh, I guess, another question on here from uh, Prelude. I think uh, somebody, Collins, came up with a, an answer for it, but any particular tools that you use to measure qual uh, code quality via pair programming? It's an interesting one. I... I don't necessarily see pair programming and code quality as like you do pair programming to get great quality code. Um, you know, you, you, you hire good engineers to get good quality code. You give them a little bit of room in order to design and develop. And hopefully within that pair, you've always got, uh, you'll often have a more experienced person and maybe a more junior person or someone who's more, more familiar with that. Have I gone now? No, 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 you're still there. I can hear you, you're just frozen. What? Oh, can you hear me? Richard, I think you're back now, but Andrew's literally just gone as you've came back. <laughs> oh, really? Well, there you go. Some of the challenges, as we said before, the irony of this. I know. It's funny that I'm, uh, I'm the one that's working off 4G on my phone. I'm the one that's had the solid connection so far. <laughs> um, but yeah, what Andrew was just touching on was uh, any particular tools that you use to measure the code quality via pair programming. There you go. You're back, Andrew. God, so, I mean, so I, 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 don't know about, I don't know about code quality. I need some internet quality around here. This is... <laughs> um, so I don't think there's any distinction between measuring code quality between pair programmers and measuring code quality between a single developer or a team, it's code quality still needs measuring. Yeah. Um, and actually, whilst we're on the topic of doing things together, as I've been pushing, so when you boil this, <coughs> when you boil this down, it comes down to more collaboration. That's a key thing, particularly at this moment in, the, in life, uh, Hopefully there's a vaccine coming, but as people are working from home more often, we've been looking for other ideas of how people can work together. And some of the teams now have adopted group code views, which I think is a great idea. So now, rather than it being a very transactional basis of here's my thoughts, somebody reads them, gets upset, 
writes some funny comment back, addresses some of them. It goes on for days. People get together in groups and review the code and everyone starts to learn a little bit more about why somebody might have an issue with something or why somebody else has done it the way that they've done. So I think that's a big way of preventing errors from reoccurring. And then how do we measure code quality? I saw somebody listed some tools before. You know, mm. There's obviously tools out there, Sonacube and linting and all that good stuff. Yeah, I really like so I really like that idea of that sort of um, almost like pairing on the remote on the pull request idea. You know, you've got the author of the code and you've got a couple of reviewers and the author can go through it and explain where they were going. And then there's more of a discussion going on and it brings those people together. Often, if you're just looking at a, a diff, you know, you're looking at a chain set of diffs on your own. Sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees because they're just lots of tiny changes in many files. Whereas if you've got the author there telling you where they were going, I think that's kind of, that's that's a really cool idea. I really like that. Um, uh, uh, just as I've logged, logged back in, I've lost the, so first of all, thank you everybody for throwing in questions. We, we were chatting before this, it's like, this is gonna be, it may, you may still think it's dull, but it would have been really dull <laughs> if no one had asked any questions at all. So you are helping make this, uh, the fact you're answering questions suggests you do have some interest. But since I've um, logged back out and back in, I've lost the queue. I can't see the questions any longer. So there's a little Q and A. Yeah, there's a little yeah. Q and A button just underneath the video. Is it not working for yeah, you? Yeah, it, it's there, but I've only got. Right. Um, uh, I haven't got any. There was a, a bigger list of questions previously. So if we've got any outstanding questions, can someone read them out? Uh, yeah. Yes, so I've they, got um, a question. Oh, there's one. Yeah. Myself, what, to what? be honest, Richard, um, is I don't. I, I, it's more my, it's not necessarily from a, a programming side. This is more a, a remote collaboration issue. I don't, you know, maybe touching on this, but mm. yes, as some of us are starting to return back into the office at the moment, uh, for us personally, and quite a few of the team are still working from home. Um, that's one of the issues that we have is when we're holding meetings as, as a team, because we've got a few people that are in the office and we've got people that are still remote. I guess I don't suppose you've uh, had any success or got any tips or tools that you'd use for like a mixed team really where people are remote still and people are physically in the office because I tend to find that the people that are physically in the office tend to get a little bit more attention than the people that are sat there on a laptop watching the meeting. Yeah, agreed. Um, no, I would love to find uh, an answer to this. Um, so some of the things that I've, I've, I've read about and, and uh, somebody's told me about is that you always join by, you know, all meetings are conducted over the lowest common denominator. So if, if one person is dialing in, then everyone dials in. But that does feel like quite a, quite a hard, hard approach to take really. Um, so that works and that everyone is connecting in the same way and everyone treats each other in the same way. Uh, because if you're the only one dialing in and people are drawing on the screen and you can't see anything, then people will will behave differently. So everyone gets the same treatment, but it does make things very tricky. Um, so it, it, I think it's a lot easier to, for everyone to be remote, working from their off from their home, or everyone to be in the office. Once it starts to mix and it becomes much more flexible. I, I'm 
really hoping for, for somebody to tell me how that's going to work because I, I, I'm, I'm quite worried about that in terms of people will get cut out. So people in the office can stand up and say, oh, let's go and have a chat about this and let's go over mm. to this side of the office and talk about how we're going to solve this problem. And three of the team may be at home unaware that the conversation's taken place and unaware of what the outcome of that conversation was. Yeah, so the way in which we're trying to tackle that at Very, and we've not really had a chance to try it out properly because uh, originally the idea was that we would start to return back to the office on a phased approach. And the overall company's idea was uh, around a sort of 50-50 balance of home and work, home and office. Um, For our particular group, we had a discussion and suggested that probably actually about one day a week in the office would be sufficient and the rest could be at home because we'd seen some good productivity gains by having our engineers and the teams remote. So what we decided that we were going to do was that squads would come in on a particular day to do the end of their sprint retro in the morning. They would do their sprint planning in the afternoon all together in the office and then they would go home for like the next week and a half. And we'd have certain days of the week, certain squads would come in Um, Again, partly this was due to not having, not trying to bring too many people back into the office at the same time because of the issues that we had. And the idea was we would start to do this from September time, but because of local lockdown and other restrictions, we've just not tried it out yet. But what we were thinking is we, we would either like have everybody in the office or everyone would be remote. But you still, I'm sure, would get the odd situation where somebody is a bit under the weather or they've got something happening at home, which means they need to stay. And, and I also have that same fear of the, the person or the, the people who are remote get left out. Yeah, and we, and we have different reasons. So some people will prefer to work from home you know, almost all the time if they, if, they, if they could get that option. And some people actually don't ever want to work from home for different reasons mm-hmm. that maybe there's, there's, it's too lively at home or it's, they don't have the setup and they'd rather be in the office or they just crave that human interaction. I, I, and we have, again, as I touched on earlier, we can never, if there's one thing I've learned over the last five years, we, we've now got 80 people and you cannot please everybody all the time. It's impossible because different people have different things that they want to get out of life and you cannot make a solution that works for everyone. Mm. So anyway, uh, just a quick one. I, I've got some of the questions coming back up now. A question from Dylan. What percent of a developer's time do you aim to have spent pairing? So, so we definitely do not go, go down to that level. I personally would just like to see pairing taking place quite often in terms of it, it's part of our toolkit of how to get the job done. Um, so people are working together, sharing ideas and communicating. If everyone is sat, whether it's at their desk or you know, at home or in the office, staring at the screen, not communicating, we may get the job done, but I think there are better ways of doing it. And that, and that conversation and that constant learning really comes about through pairing. Yeah, I think David's got a point which sort of ties into this saying, you know, developers and product owners feel it's a bit of a waste of time. How would you introduce it or convince them? I've had the best success by just almost doing, just quietly getting on and doing it. Yeah. You know, hey, Peter, can you just come over and give us a hand on this particular bit of code, please? I'm finding it a bit tricky. Oh, look, you happen to now be sat next to me for the next three hours and we're busy writing code. You know, it's almost that sort of, 
oh, I just need a bit of help with this. Could you just help me with that? And do that for a while, see how it works out, see if pairing works for you. I'm sure in some cases, as you've said, Richard, certain teams, certain people, certain industries or environments may not work. Um, but you just introduce it, just not, you don't do a big fanfare and say, it's a little bit like agile, you know, you don't just go, we're going agile now and we're going to throw everything we, we do out of the window and we're going to introduce all these new practices and all these new techniques, uh, but you're going to have to give us six months to figure it out because we don't know how to do anything. So, and I think I found it the same thing with pairing, you know, you just start doing it in small isolated cases for maybe an hour or two and you see what works. And then in the end, really, hopefully your product owners and other people who are skeptical don't even really realize you're doing it and your productivity remains either the same or actually hopefully slightly better. Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it's kind of a, becomes part of the culture really it's just what you do once it's accepted and, and as I touched on about having somebody who actually left because they didn't want to pair it, in the end it was probably the right outcome we want people who want to work with others and, and that's how our culture is some some companies don't want people chatting on the community they want hardcore concentration all day writing the gnarliest code um great, that's not what we're looking for out of our place. So th th there's very much a, a culture of explaining how what our ways of working are during the interview process and when we bring people in. So uh, any, any other questions in there now? I think that's... Yeah. I, I wanted to just pick up one particular tool that we found very effective for remote whiteboarding and collaboration, but outside of code. So there's a tool called Miro or Miro. It's M-I-R-O. Um, I, I believe there's a free version. And um, it's uh, basically loads of people. Have I? No, Hello. Stephen? No, yeah, we've got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gone again. Um, so... Um, there's, oh, just whilst, whilst he's gone, um, there's a question from Prolude. Have you used Visual Studio Live Share? I think someone at our place has used that. I, I'm not exactly sure. It's not something that we use. So we're not big on uh, Visual Studio in general. Uh, as I mentioned, we do different projects for different customers. So where um, some of the Microsoft stuff kicks in, there's a particular project that's using it. I, I don't know exactly the details of how we get on with that. So I can't give you any more details of my afraid. No, I've, I've not used that either. So I can't give any help there. Cool. I think um, obviously we're, we're coming up to, uh, we're coming up to the hour mark now. Right, yeah. Um, which, yeah, has absolutely flown. So yeah, some been some really good questions. I think, yeah, there's, there's been some good points raised. And one, again, that I'd be particularly keen, if anybody, um, what we're going to do after this as well is we're going to send out a survey monkey to everybody so that you can give any feedback. I think a particular area that I'd be keen on, and it sounds like you two have got ideas, but maybe no solution for it yet, is the, the meetings, um, you know, the remote collaboration once we've got a partly remote, partly office-based team. If anybody's got any suggestions or any tools that you're planning on using or you have used, please do share that. I'd be really keen on seeing what people yeah. are using that. So, so just a quick one on that, actually. There is, there is something that we do 
Um, and, and it was based on, there's an article by um, a chap from Automatic, I think it is. I, I, I can, I'll post it afterwards. Um, but it, they're, they're a, a remote company and they've posted their kind of five levels of maturity of how companies work. And, and one of their ideas, which we've adopted, but only, let's say, slowly, I'm, I'm one of the few in our company who do it at the minute, is before a meeting to send out a shared document to everyone in the meeting to say, this is what the meeting's going to be about. Uh, this is the problem. This is what we're looking to get out of it and looking for people to capture their ideas. So, so the options are either come and attend the meeting and bring your ideas with you and we'll sort them through or write them down beforehand and you don't necessarily need to come to the meeting. We just value your input into this. And that it gives, you know, some people thrive on being put on the spot and say, right, we've got a problem, how are we going to solve it? And other people maybe shy away during the meeting and don't want to be quite so loud and, and are over-talked by someone else they may have the best ideas kind of a bit like what pair programming is all about really is trying to capture that conversation so so that's one thing that we do that, that may well help but but that requires planning and things setting up and it's the, mm. the the thing that you're talking about and I'm, I'm most interested in is how you handle the kind of let's have a meeting about this now I'm stuck with this let's all get together and talk it through how do you how do you include everyone all the time yeah to pick up just to kind of address that bit that you said about your sort of um document ahead of time of the meeting we do something similar with us we create a slack channel and and post the topic of the meeting in there and ask people for ideas a few days ahead and you know basically see if actually <laughs> so frustrating it's been rock solid all day and then i come to do this now and it's just cutting off every few minutes i was just saying that we use a slack channel thing to do it similar yeah just uh having a look at the i know it's not on the q a part but on the chat side of it as well um yeah there's a few few mentions in there teams handles it nicely I've got the link here, actually. I'll just, uh, for this, there's a link to that article I was talking about. I think it's a really interesting read to help look at where you are on that level in terms of how you deal with things remotely. Yeah, no, I'll look at that. Brilliant. Um, I guess anything else to, to I think uh, I think Andrew's froze again. But uh, any anything else to add for you before we kind of sign off? Because I think we have hit that hour mark for for most people. So, any. Oh, that's that's good for me. I love all the questions. Thank you. Yeah. No. Thank you very silence. much. Yeah, but um, yeah, if, if Andrew was here anyway. Uh, oh wait, I think he's coming back now. Here he is. But yeah, I was the same, Andrew. Um, look. I think we're gonna gonna wrap it up now, but obviously because uh, nobody can talk, I'm sure it'd be a massive virtual round of applause for you, for you both anyway. So I appreciate you doing this on a Thursday night, and uh, yeah, I'll let you grab your beers now. But as I said, we'll uh, send out a survey monkey after, so please anybody um, can feedback. It's just gonna help us improve our 
future tech talks and podcasts and webinars and, and whatnot so we can just continue doing them so we will send this out afterwards but yeah again massive uh, massive thanks to both of you so, uh, thank yeah. you very much and if anyone yeah, wants to chip you. in to get me a better internet connection feel free yeah and thank you Stephen yeah, I think I probably should have done rather than relying on <laughs> Wi-Fi. Thank you, Stephen, for setting this up. It's been uh, really, really enjoyable. Yeah, it has been good. It's been good. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to do it face to face to get some more or to get better feedback from everyone else's points of view. But it's nice. It's okay. Yeah. Thanks all. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this special edition of the Trusted Tech Talks podcast. A big thank you to Stephen, Richard and Andrew for sharing their thoughts and questions. We are always looking to hear from our network and our community. So if you have any questions or suggestions, please get in touch via our website or on LinkedIn.